0: This webinar is called 2024 Will Blow Your Mind. It's a webinar that's specifically called out for real estate syndicators, real estate developers, investment fund managers, uh, businesses looking to raise capital. And it's all about how to get ready for 2024, hence the title. Now, the role of it is it doesn't matter where you come in. So it doesn't matter whether you're a syndicator who's done 500 deals. It doesn't matter if you are a total newbie at this. You're in the right place, we're gonna help you. What this webinar is about is taking a look at where we're at today and where 2024 can lead us and is going to lead us for certain, um, but so that you have the best 2024 that you can. I hope you find this webinar helpful and uh, let's go ahead and get started. A lot of people always do their planning for the next year around this time, and so that's why we put this webinar together. I think you're going to find it very useful. Uh, It's got a lot of tools. Now, at the end of this, I'm, of course, going to give my contact information, but please do feel free to reach out to me. If we can help make you successful, we'd love to do that. But listen here to this webinar about each of the steps of each of the phases that we're gonna go through. There's parts one, two, and three, and then we're going to talk about how they all fit together. Uh, So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. This again is the 2024 will blow your mind webinar. You're in the right place. So part one, I call the landscape of tomorrow. The landscape of tomorrow is, well, we're at this one point here today in December, of 2023. Now, how are we going to go from where we're at today? Let's first talk about what that path that's going to be there that takes us to 2024 that we can expect to happen. Now, these are all things that exist outside of our control, really, uh, to a a large extent. Big macro forces that are going on uh, in the world. But we need to understand those to understand how we're going to adapt to this changing world. So first, of course, if we're going to talk about economics and syndication, investment funds, all those things, we got to talk about the reality that we're in today. Obviously, we're in very high interest rate worlds. If you look at a lot of the reports about what's coming down the pipe, we're going to see, you know, that rates will either stay the same, go up, come down. What doesn't, it doesn't necessarily matter so much how much they change. What matters is that we know that we're at this point right now where we've got uh, the Fed has has set us at a rate, chances are that they will be reducing, at least that's what the Fed has told us, that it's planning on reducing rates in 2024, and they're not expecting necessarily to raise rates again or uh, to maintain them indefinitely for a very long protracted time. So... That's good news, but what does that mean for us? What do we do about it? Well, when it comes to our investments, uh, the reason that it matters is because if we're doing a a, a syndication or an investment fund, we're buying assets, right? So whether those assets are real property or they're buying promissory notes or they're buying other securities or they're buying businesses right? Those are all assets, and so we're buying those assets. Now, there is different sources of funds to purchase assets, right? We can raise them from investors, which is what we do, or that you can also uh, raise money from the banks, right? You can borrow money in order to do it. So, uh, most of the time, you will be doing a mixture of the two. You'll be borrowing money from a bank and raising capital from investors. So, there are two reasons why interest rates matter in this context. So as interest rates rise, right? So as the Fed raises interest rates, the bond prices and the yield prices that are available options to your investors, those prices change as well. So the prices get very, very high in bonds when the, uh, when the interest rate goes up. And when it comes down, they uh, the bond prices tend to go down now. What uh, What's important in that context, not only is that investors have that choice, but a lot of the other securities are pegged to different treasuries, uh, treasury bonds. right? So your money market accounts, your CDs, places where your investors can park money in a very liquid way are going to pay a, a certain interest rate. Right now, you could probably put uh, money into a, a good CD that's fairly liquid, uh and and expect to get about a four four and a half percent return it would not be difficult to find such a thing so that off the table like automatically is an amount that investors would be able to say well that's you know i know i can get a return there when we've got uh so if you were to put together a great offering it looked amazing you know the best presentation in the world a founder investment theory that was off the charts in most respects, but it was paying at three percent. You're not going to get any investors because they don't need to. They can go to a very, very safe investment and have it be you know almost guaranteed, as close to guaranteed as it can be, and get a return of four and four and a half percent. So why would they come to you? So it sort of like lowers the lowers the uh, the boats for all. So, it also changes our borrowing costs, right? The higher the interest rates, the higher the borrowing costs. So, banks are making loans out at certain rates. Most of the time, they're looking at different measures. Uh, a lot of the times, it's the fixed market world, the, the what the treasury bills are trading at, and then they come up with certain rates, and in between them is a spread. So, that spread fluctuates a little bit, but it doesn't fluctuate a huge amount, right? So, we may see a spread, in, <clears throat> excuse me, in the commercial market of like 3%, 4%, right, for for the servicing and for treatment of it, which is on the high side. But we may also, uh, so if those rates go up, say they will go up to 10, well, now we've got rates that are suddenly now 13 14% of our borrowing costs, right, or our mortgage costs. If they go down, that will also go down. Now, it's not going to go to zero, obviously, because that would uh, the banks still need to uh, make money, and so they still need to lend money as well. So we need to, uh, lastly, we need to look at when we have those increased uh, interest rates, it changes the cash flow dynamic of what your investors are going to get. If you have a variable rate loans that are, are going, those are going to be changing all the time. And so where the direction of interest rates are is going to happen. So we're in this world of high interest rates today, or at least high that we think they are, um, and those are going to be changing. So it's either going to, uh, it could stay the same theoretically. Chances are it's not. My predictions is is it probably will go down. um, And basically I'm hearing maybe dropping a point uh, something like that over twenty twenty four. maybe by June we'll drop a point, and then we'll see where we're at uh, and then reassess. but here's a an interesting map I just thought was uh, useful for us. So over we've got this high rate period here uh, that we're we're actually coming down just a little bit. and this is on the uh, average mortgage of a thirty year fix. I thought it was. A little bit more important, but for us to look at that rather than what the the Fed rate is. So actually, historically, we're not that crazy on where we were. Um, so even we're even below the rates of where we were at in two thousand, right? Right before the um, right before the recession in two thousand, uh, we're a little bit above that. It flattened out a little bit uh, to some extent, and then uh, we had the recession in 2008, um, and then we saw them fall even more as the Fed lowered rates. And so now we're at this huge peak. What's remarkable about this peak in 2022 is that it's so steep, right? We had a very, very low interest rate loan world. I remember getting a loan on commercial real estate below three, and it was great. Uh, And for apartments, you could get it much, much lower than that. Um, And then we had this massive steep rise. And so that's what's kind of remarkable. Um, so just keep that in your mind as one of the places where we're at today. The other issue is a market slowdown. So uh, the market itself, for whatever your assets are, may very well be changing, right? If you're in the real estate market, you probably are seeing this already. If you're in the business market or something else, you may be seeing other effects as well. So expect to see lower transaction volume. So. It's not like you're going to open up your computer browser and suddenly there is a billion things to go into. Finding assets to invest into is going to be a little different than there's a million options to choose from. Oh, which can I choose? Uh, Which is good for you, really, because the real value that you bring to the table is bringing together investors, bringing together the right uh, assets and then managing those assets in a way that makes your investors more money. If there's lower volume and there's lower amounts of deals out there to invest into, less assets that are on the market, your investors have the same problem, right? So they don't have the opportunity to just buy it themselves because it doesn't exist. So all if if you had investors who were just, say, use real estate as an example. And let's use a, 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 an apartment building. If your investors could just buy an apartment building and then put their money in that and get the same return, they may consider that. But if they if that apartment building is harder to find, they're not going to be as likely to. Whereas if you found one, because that's the part of the expertise you're bringing to the table, if that if they find if you find one, now your investment is like okay, well now I can put money in there because I know they've got the real estate or whatever kind of asset type, because this goes across asset types, right? Securities is not just about real estate, and it's not just real estate syndication, it goes across. It goes to venture capital funds and other all sorts of different things. So there's also a prime opportunity in, a dist- in distressed assets. As the market slows down, that may, and high interest rates exist, that may cause people to need to uh, sell their assets or or maybe even do deeds in lieu of foreclosure or something like that. Those assets may become distressed fairly easily. And so when there's distress, that means opportunity for you. So now you can buy those assets at a discounted price, uh, offer them to your investors, and they'll get a better return for it. It also is a good opportunity to diversify your investment portfolio because there will be Different offers out there that you may not have previously considered. And so by diversifying, you may decide if you were an apartment guy, maybe it's time to start looking at oh, well, what would happen if I took something that's somewhat similar to an apartment building, say a flex industrial flex building, which is similar, but it's different, right? So they have different drivers, they have different, it's a different market, but maybe there's a relationship there. Or if that's a little bit too much, Use something that's very closely correlated, which is uh, self-storage. So maybe you combine self-storage and multifamily into one, and now you've got a much more diversified portfolio, uh, but in, still in the same general asset class. And all because you couldn't find just that apartment building to buy another one. Um, as part of this, too, you really want to also make sure you're spending time to inha- uh, do better due diligence. So due diligence is going to be necessary because people are going to be in a state where they those assets may be distressed and they may need to be gotten rid of at any cost. And of course, people want to maximize the amount of money they make, and so there may be uh, there there is opportunity there for people to uh, hide things and not be as forthcoming as they would. And you want to dig and make sure what it's there. But also, as part of your due diligence, is Considering what could happen if some of the, the syndicators who got in trouble like a year ago, two years ago, or getting in trouble now, are ones who thought that the low interest rate world would last forever. So they got highly, as highly leveraged as they could. They bought mediocre assets. And now look what happens. So suddenly they're upside down and, uh, and it's a bad, bad world. So as part of your due diligence, do your financial analysis and stress test it. What would happen if, right? So those are all things that need to take place. There's also been massive technological advances in 2023, and they are going to continue into 2024. Um, and this is a good opportunity. So it's an, imp- an opportunity for you to improve your own efficiency. It's an opportunity for you to look at ways for, okay, how you're doing things now. The, how, what the pros, those processes are now, is there a way that you can do them better? Is there a better way to, uh, to talk to investors, to find investors, to get them into your investments? Is there a better way to manage your properties and do the asset management piece in order to make distributions and communicate more effectively? Are there better ways to do those sort of things? And technology is a lot of times the right answer for that. Also, it's important to stay up to date, right? You need to know what's going on. You need to be able to, to know those things because you don't want to be caught off guard. Let's say that you are in a uh, that you are in a data center world, right? So you're uh, in you you do data centers as your real estate. If you don't know what's going on in the technology behind AI right now, oh my gosh, you're in big trouble because that is what your investors are going to be talking to you about. What's the impact of AI going to have on data centers? As a sidebar, the impact is, wow, you're in the right market because AI needs a lot of data centers and a lot of computing power, so you're in the right place. But if you didn't know that, If you weren't staying up to date with what those advances were, you wouldn't be able to talk reasonably to investors and you'd start losing confidence. So also just keep your eyes open and your mind open to new opportunities and new ways to expand your market, right? New ideas that are out there, new technological advances, new sociological advances. What are those things and how can they uh, better do things? Right now, also, there is a huge amount of geopolitical uncertainty. We haven't seen wars exist on this level for quite a while. We have a war in Ukraine. We have uh, the the war in Gaza. Those are having an effect. Now, on one hand, it's causing a lot of fear and a lot of unrest. On the other hand, it's also creating a lot of opportunity. It creates opportunity because your investors still need to put their money somewhere. And who are better to put it than someone that they actually know, actually like, and actually trust? And that's you. Uh, capital always needs a place to go. So I like the analogy of the capital as water, right? So if you think of a big rushing river, if you were to dig out something because something becomes a hole, what happens? It gets filled up. Water spreads to where it's needed the most, to the lowest point, right? So it always is spreading. So as long as you are making sure that the water can efficiently go there, water will always come. So that capital means it will always come. You just have to open up the the open it up so that it can. Sustainability is also very big. So I've had a lot of discussions in the past uh, uh, in the past year about uh, sustainability projects, green buildings. Uh, Different sort of very creative ESG ideas, uh, anything from tree farms uh, to uh, to buying surface rights to uh, nonprofits who are trying to do very creative things with investment to build eco friendly things. A lot of really good ideas. Now, what this means is not that you have to have a you know a green project. What it means is that you should be thinking about green projects and how it relates, or, or even broader than, than green is ESG, right? So um, uh, environment, sustainability, and governance. So sustainability is also very important, and governance is very important. You know, how can you make the world a better place and do your investment? Because as we'll talk about when we talk about the founder investment theory, that's part of your story. That's part of what investors want to know. And if, it's, if you've got a good ESG story that resonates with them, it doesn't have to all be tree huggers, right? It, it needs to be a story that resonates with your investors. If you've got that right story, then they're going to be good. Uh, but so there has been this massive movement towards ESG. Now, yes, we've been hearing a lot about greenwashing and things like that, but the fundamental doesn't change that people still care about different things about how ESG affects them personally, right? So how ESG, uh, some people will have very strong feelings about how environmentally it should be taking place, about how uh, sustainability should be taking place, even about how governance should be taking place. There's also been a massive shift, oh my goodness, in work dynamics. Now, this has not only been since COVID. So COVID, before COVID, there was this major move from office, out of the office. Telecommuting, not telecommuting. Companies prior to COVID would send in, would, would be like, okay, everybody work from home. Okay, wait, wait, that's not working. Everybody come back to the office. And so there was this dynamic ever since telecommuting became more of a thing. And it's been a general evolution that was pushing more and more people back home. I remember before becoming a lawyer, I had a, a job where I was working at home for a short bit, and they wanted me to come back in, but they wanted me to come back into an office that was very, very far away. Uh, that wasn't going to happen. I, I, you know, they wanted me to go travel basically two hours, uh, two hours commute time. Now, at the time, I lived in the Bay Area, so it probably was about five minutes away in, with no traffic because traffic was terrible. But uh, they wanted me to travel very, very far for my business. So there, But the point is, is that there's been this shift just people wanting to be have different kinds of uh, work environments. When COVID happened, of course, everybody was went from home. And now their people are having a hard time coming back. Companies are having a real hard time bringing them back. Most companies do want to bring their people back for good reason, because it works better when everybody's in the office. I have a friend of mine as a, a law practice and he has uh, that has sixty lawyers in his in his uh, in his office, and each one of those lawyers uh, mostly works from home now. So ever since COVID, it used to be everybody was in the office, and that was the expectation. Now he says he goes in, and he's lucky if he sees one or two emplo- one or two lawyers in the office. I mean that's a major shift, and he himself hardly ever goes in. Him too. But they're uncomfortable with that, because how can you do mentorship? How can you do real collaboration without everybody being together in the same place? You can't. So there's this shift in that work dynamic, and how you're going to address it needs to be thought about, especially if you're in, in real estate. So if you're in multifamily, if that's your thing, which a lot of my clients are, well, what can you do in the multifamily space to make it a little bit easier for people to work from home? Maybe it's something like you buy for the whole building the Internet and you sell them the Internet back. Right. I've seen people do that successfully, primarily in the office world. Not a lot of people are doing it in the, in the multifamily world where you pay for very, very high level Internet service, you know, lots and lots of bandwidth, and then you sell it out. You know, that that's certainly something that that you could do uh, you know, in the office environment. Obviously, you've got quite a big problem. But in the retail environment, too, are you prov- is are your centers providing free Wi-Fi? Are they providing those things? I remember, before, you know, maybe 10 years ago, I had no expectation of getting Wi-Fi anywhere. Uh, it was neat when Starbucks offered it maybe 15 years ago. It was like, wow, OK, that's pretty cool. But there was certainly not an expectation. Now I get kind of bummed. It's like, well, why why isn't there a Wi-Fi connection? I can the internet's too slow right now. I need to, I need to get on a Wi-Fi connection. What's your password? Uh, you know, if so, if you're in retail, that's a major thing. Same thing with the industrial. So anything in the in the uh, in the real estate world, you need to be thinking about. Well, how can we better provide services? How can we better make it so that people do what they do, which is work and play, but here we're mostly talking about work. How can we make what they do do uh, in the most effective way? There's also been a major shift primarily since COVID, at least as I've seen it, uh, towards secondary and tertiary markets, which is a lot of opportunity. So we've got a major, major growth happening, especially in Raleigh, Durham, where I live, uh, in uh, Austin, uh, those growth markets are happening because it's a good place to do work. It's got a great standard of living. It's you know a nice place to live, and so businesses have just started growing, going there, you know, to be closer to their workforce. Just like we talked about in the last section, and as that growth has been happening, you know, we've seen that uh, it's a it, that's created. Incredible raises in the amount in the value of real estate, but we also see other trends as well. So we also see okay, there's demands on other services. There's demands on data center services. There's demands on computing computing services. There's demands on medical services. Really, all those everything that supports human existence, you know, which is everything, is uh, is is growing in the secondary and tertiary market. So that creates additional opportunity by finding those those uh, opportunities, capitalizing them, securitizing them, making it available to investors. That's how we do our work. And of course, inflation too. So not only is the you know do we have incredibly high interest rates, but w- what about inflation? So inflation generally has a major impact on on the costs of everything. Development right now is that is kind of in a in a weird transitioning period because you've got so much expenses. The cost of materials is so incredibly high. The cost of labor is so high because inflationary forces are there. So you've got those things going on at the same time that you've got rising real estate prices and but rents are maybe not falling in line as much or maybe they are in in your area. So we've got. These, inflation is having an effect. Now, interestingly, inflation primarily has an effect on the energy sector, right? So, it, that's been the major, 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 major part of what has been impacted in this go-round of inflation. We've had a massive spike in the cost of of energy, which automatically correlates directly to the cost of food. They're very closely correlated. When, and that's why we experience costs go up, right? So we feel like costs are going up, they're going up, they're going up, when in reality costs everywhere else weren't really going up that much until people started feeling that costs need to go up and so prices go up and hence so we get actual inflation that was started by just sort of a perceived felt inflation. Now granted, you know, cost of energy, costs of transportation, all those things also drive all, the, all of our values as well. And so they, there was an effect there, but it wasn't nearly to the extent as the spike in energy itself. So the point of this part is, is that the facts of where we are today, plus the path uh, of tomorrow, so how we get from here in December 2023 to where we want to go in 2024, it's gonna equal where you'll end up in December of 2024. So that's, that's why we need to be aware of what are the facts today? Where am I at today, right? And then we can start working on what to do for tomorrow. So what should you do? Well, we're gonna to get to that. But first, let's talk about part two. So this hopefully will be your light bulb moment. Now my goal here is to stretch what you've been thinking about, about how you think about opportunity in uh, syndication, investment funds, whatever it is. How can we, I want to stretch that, that idea? Because this last year has really stretched my perception of it as well. I've seen ideas come through that have been like, wow, that's really, really creative. That's, that's really good. And the reason that's good is because now it gives me a broader sense of, okay, so now my offer can look like this. Maybe I should think about this as well, or talking to people in this way, or things like that. So hopefully this will be a light bulb moment for you. So, here's what I've seen less of in 2023. Because I think that's useful. Sorry. So what I've seen less of in 2023. I've seen less office, you know. I'm not surprised. I haven't had a single office deal. Uh, I had one office deal, um, but it wasn't even, uh, it, it was barely an office deal. Um, so there hasn't been a single, uh, uh, other than that one, there hasn't been a single transaction that my firm has done. Certainly not one that I would do. Why? Well, we've got a, we've got a, a vacancy rate over 50% in San Francisco. We've got major, major vacancies in all the major cities. It's not a good time. We've got WeWork filing bankruptcy. Well, that was kind of the writing on the wall uh, for a while that that was going to happen. But that's a big shift. That's a big change. You know, what is that change in the co-working space going to be like? Don't know. Um, So I've seen less office. I've seen less sales, and this is specific here. I've seen less uh, less deals that have been about stabilized multifamily that rely only on the increasing of rents. So when you do a stabilized uh, when you do a stabilized strategy on your fit, the point of the stabilization is it's just that your rents are going to go up at one, at some given market rate. So say that's three percent, four percent, something like that. Depending on where you are, it could be as high as five, six percent. So rents are gonna go up on that portion. It's possible that find it's it's good to find a stable multifamily family building. And that what by stable we mean that the vacancy has stabilized, right? So maybe your vacancy is 1%, 2%, something like that would be awesome. And it's been that way for a little while, so you don't have a lot of expectations of a huge amount of churn where you're going to go from 98% occupied to 50% occupied. You know, oh, back and forth, back and forth. That That's not good. Stable is is a lot easier uh, in that. So this that strategy is you're relying on increasing the rent. Now, those rents were increasing at, say, 4%. Well, maybe the previous landlord hasn't raised rents for quite a while. And so the difference between where the rents are at today with today's leases and what market is, can be really big. And so you can drive those rents up, then you've, you've just increased the value, right? Because we capitalize buildings based on their rents, which means you've got a massive growth, right? It's not just a, an arithmetic growth, but it's actually compounded. Um, so, but I haven't seen a lot of those deals. Uh, it's just not, it's not in the, in the market right now. I don't know that I've, I've actually seen, I've no, I've seen a few. That's not true, so I've seen a few. I've seen maybe five, which normally my business would see like 30, so quite quite a bit less. I also haven't seen any deals at all that have been where the, where the strategy was a triple net or retail with, uh, with a sale on renewal. So typically in retail, uh, especially in a triple net, you have a 15 year lease a lot of times, uh, after the five years, the rent bumps up. So there's increases every five. Uh, the rent bumps up, but there isn't a discounting because of the decrease on the term until way after year 10 and, and until after that fifth year. Uh, so normally you'll start to see that on years like year seven, but not at year five. And so the strategy is okay, you buy it uh, at year one, uh, you wait for that rent to go up. It goes up. You sell the property. There's an increase there. I was actually my first transaction was in the strategy. Uh, my first syndication that I did, um, and it worked out great. You know, we made a great return for uh, investors that everybody was happy with. Um, I haven't seen a lot of deals either with uh, hotels without a story. So just a hotel. So this is your normal workforce uh, a hotel. You know the. Where people instead of commuting, you know, four hours, they'll stay in a hotel the night so that they can meet, do a meeting at the office. It's your tradesman who's coming out to fix something, uh, but it's a very long way away. He's the specialist in the country, and you know, just fixes that one big machine that does makes widgets or whatever it is. Uh, so those hotels, those uh, normal you know days in type hotels, are great. But they, if they don't have a story, I haven't really seen a lot of transactions in that. Um, and then I haven't seen a lot of developments by new, uh, by new people who are new to syndication. So uh, people who have just started their syndication world, their career in syndicating, uh, and are doing their first syndication. I'm not seeing any development that. Normally I'd see a few, um, but I haven't seen any of that this year probably because the margins have knocked them out because of the increase in price. So what I've seen now, here's what I've seen a lot of this year, and I'm expecting this to be even more so in 2024. Oh, one other I should add, I haven't seen a lot of crypto this year either. I've seen uh, practically none. Uh, Normally, if, if there is a crypto, it's actually a business that has some crypto component to it but there's been no offers for, for crypto really coming down the, the pike. Even even the businesses aren't, aren't doing a lot this year. Um, so what I have seen a lot of, uh, and I'm expecting even more, is experienced builders, we're looking at better access to capital. So there's high interest rates right now that could go to a bank, much better for them to offer pre- uh, preferred equity uh, and then to be able to pay a rate. As those rates get changed, right, so they're able to pay this one particular rate. As the bank rates become up, it starts becoming feasible to do it that way. It starts becoming quite actually beneficial because not only do you get the benefit of having the investors you know, who are lending you the money, who have oftentimes an easier underwriting threshold, right? You have to do the underwriting, but many of the people who are buying the preferred equity aren't actually doing a substantial amount of the equity, That's really your job to take care of them, right? To make sure that they're taken care of. That's your job as a manager. But uh, so it's a lot easier to get preferred equity, to get to do a, a syndication or do a fund. And developers are now coming a lot more into using this as a tool. The other benefit, just as an aside, is that preferred equity goes on the shareholders equity side of a balance statement. So banks don't count it against you. So if they do go for loans, they're not looking at it as, oh, we've got this huge amount of debt. Because they're going to take priority anyway. And they're going to take so much priority that there's other legal things that that make preferred equity different than true debt. We oftentimes call it debt or a debt fund, but really it's not a it's not debt in a true, true sense. Like it's it's not on the liability side of a of a balance sheet. Um other things I've seen a lot of uh, lenders looking to additional capital, lend. hard money lenders, they, you know, basically who've maxed out the amount of money that they have on their own to lend. And so they want to increase the amount of money so they can still make more loans so they can make more money. I've seen a lot of single family home developers who develop in that smaller space. So this isn't the D.H. Hutton's of the world, you know, doing Two thousand homes at a time these are the developers doing five to a hundred homes you know in a single block. Uh, these are people who are who are typically they're builders uh, and ex- very experienced builders who also a lot of times had a lot of access to capital to just build uh, from their relationships with banks or with one investor and now suddenly want to want to move on and use. Uh, use uh, raise money, raise private money in order to do that. Uh, the other thing I've seen a lot of is short term market arbitrage opportunities. So this is your very short term holds, uh, three months, six months, sometimes less. A lot of times we see this in the land world. Buy it at an extremely low price, and then uh, quickly resell. Put together a marketing plan or something like that, and resell uh, is is. Quite quite common right now. It's very hot. Um, this any kind of market arbitrage, buying anything low, buy low, sell high. It's it's the is the is really all it is. Um, so let's talk about though some of my favorite opportunities from twenty twenty three because this I'm hoping these three examples I'm hoping will start pushing uh, expanding your ideas about what is possible out there. By far. My ultimate favorite, one second, deal that came to my attention in 2023 was Masterworks. I've done video about it. I've done a, uh, uh, a uh, we did an email blast about it. I'm not affiliated with them at all. I've never talked with them. Uh, I just think they're, they've got something really brilliant here. Their founder investment theory is so smart. Their pitch is very smart. So, the pitch is invest like a billionaire. Because you may not know this, but billionaires actually invest quite heavily in the art, in the private art market. So, the, uh, in the amount of equity, uh, the amount of assets they may own is, is many, many, many millions, right? Tens of hundreds of millions may be owned in, in uh, fine art. So invest like one of them. It turns out that the art, the fine art world is very, very uh, stable. So it generates a lot of cash. It appreciates very well and uh, it outperforms, typically outperforms the market. Um, But more than that, the true beauty about masterworks is the fit. I mean, what an easy, what a great story. I mean, I, I really like fine art quite a bit, uh, and uh, that's actually how my wife and I met. Uh, was becoming uh, first museum buddies before, uh, before we got married, um, where we'd go to museums. Um, and so art's very important to me. Like, uh, but who wouldn't want to own a Banksy? I mean, you can own a part of a Banksy, which, if you don't know, is a, is a current uh, urban artist who's just very, very witty and, and you know, quite, quite brilliant. Um, or, or, I mean, any of these number of artists. There's all sorts of different artists that they acquire. So their plan is they buy the art. They, they buy a very specific curated art that they, they know will work, and then they securitize it and sell it out. And ultimately, after a few years, then they resell it and then, uh, and then take the profits. It's a brilliant idea, uh, and what an absolutely tremendous example of founder investment theory. Um, so, Masterworks, best idea. Number two is actually, is a client of mine. Um, so, this client is uh, in New Mexico. So, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, it's a boutique hotel uh, where he has expanded the idea of, uh, he's taken a very famous book, uh, and basic is building the hotel around that idea, which is brilliant, really. I mean, it's such a great idea. So he took, he's basically taking something that would be like a day's in idea, right? In in a regular city, you know, a, a nice hotel, but nothing that's, it's not, you know, the Ritz-Carlton, so that's not their, their, their deal. It's just a nice hotel, you know, and a lot of the people are, People who are just coming to Albuquerque and, you know, staying. And those are the, the guests. But now they've got a choice. They could go to a theme hotel that's all centered around the book. I mean, pretty brilliant idea. Um, because it's got a really interesting story. I mean, wouldn't you, if you were going to Albuquerque, wouldn't you want to just stay there? I know I do. So I w- that's where I would go. It, it'd be because, you know, of all these choices, I could stay at Albuquerque. You know, this this 10 different hotels or this one, which is pretty interesting and unique. So I think it's a really great idea. Uh, so that was an idea, really, the, the lesson to take away from that is really expanding on story. Now, his story was quite literal, uh, but uh, is expanding the idea of story um, in, within your fit. And the third idea is MCA lending. Um, and not only MCA lending, but other securitizing other things that need money. Um, and so MCA lending is uh, merchant uh, customer accounts uh, or merchant card accounts. I forgot what the C stands for. Um, but basically, when you use your credit card, uh, that, is, that is what's going on. So what the lending is, is that so if a merchant needs cash and they need to get uh, access to ready capital, they can borrow money and rather than pay the lender direct like pay them every month, they actually pay out of their merchant account every transaction. So a small percentage of that goes to pay back the lender. Um, these are very common. It's a very big industry. Um, and the idea here is, again, you've got a really good you, you get really good returns from this first off. Um, but you also have a really good story. You know, the the pitch to your investors really is: what we're building is we're building a uh, we're offering a security that allows you to invest in Middle America or in the, on May, in Main Street. So it's allowing you to invest on uh, on Main Street. Think about your favorite coffee shop, or think about your favorite vendor, or your or your daycare, or your karate studio, or whatever that is. There are times when those people on Main Street need to get access to ready cash. Now, maybe that ready cash is to grow their business, right? So maybe they are looking to, they need to do this massive marketing campaign, and it's going to cost a lot of money. Or maybe they just fallen on on hard times and need a little bit of extra cash in order to keep the doors open. Whatever that is, what we're offering as a security is a way to help them out with that. And rather than having to, uh, to pay us back every month, they just get a small amount deducted from their credit card that they're using every day. So it's actually, the, as they get more and more customers, they get to pay back faster and faster and faster. So that way that gets out of the debt, it pays us back, everybody wins. That's the story. And what a great pitch. I mean, it's, it's, it's compelling. It's like, okay, I want to be a part of that. I want to help out. Uh, my favorite coffee shop and uh, help out the kids karate studio so yeah count me in uh, it's a great story so I love the idea not only because it's got a great story but because it expands your mind about where those what those opportunities look like right it's suddenly now I don't it's not just I'm built buying this building you know that I'm that I'm syndicating I'm not buying this building and we're gonna take rents and and it's going to be really great, it's now suddenly like, okay, where does that capital need to go? Where, like, to use the water analogy, where does that water need to flow? It needs to flow to these businesses who need it, right? People who need capital, that water needs to flow to them. So how can we do that? How can we make that happen? And that's what this idea does, is it sends the capital where it needs to go. So, I think it's a, a great idea, and I think it really kind of changes the way that we look at um, at what we do as syndicators and as investment fund managers. And again, ultimately, founder investment theory, that's the starting line. Right, That's where it all begins. Which leads us directly to part three, your measuring stick. So... A lot of people will go through the first part of what we're going to talk about here because we're talking about goals, right? Because we're here today in December 2023, and we're going to December 2024. Without a goal, you never end up getting there, right? So let's think about what those goals are. Where do you want to be in December 2024? So what is, and let's look at it a little bit differently. What's that simple goal? Like I want to survive until uh, December twenty twenty four. Pretty darn likely you're going to. I hope. All right. I hope you're you're healthy and that you have a, can get there. I I really do. Uh, so that's a really simple goal. But what's a, is it? Uh, what's a, your really simple goal as it relates to your business? Now let's say you're a, uh, you own a bunch of single family homes, and so you you've got ten today. And uh, a reasonably simple goal would be to add one more, right, to go by 11. You know, so, wow, 10% raise. woo! you did it. Um, so you could do it, right? It's not, it's not crazy, relatively simple. You can make it happen. So, but what if you were to take that idea and stretch it, all right? So you've got 10 today. What would be, you know, a pretty good stretch, but probably doable? Maybe buying six, seven. Wow, maybe seven. Let's use seven. Set buying seven. So you're going from ten to seventeen. That's a huge change, right? That's a big, big, increase. excuse me, a big, big increase. But that's a, that's a good goal. You know, that's certainly something doable. Okay, we're going to buy seven buildings. But what if you were to make it totally audacious? What if you were to just make a goal that was just kind of totally out there and just crazy? What does that look like? Maybe it's going from ten to fifty right? Whoa, that's crazy talk. How on earth am I going to go to 50? Well, that's the idea about these goals, because goals you can set to be whatever you want to be. You could set it to one, you could set it to seven, you can set it to 50. But if you set it, you're, you're, the likelihood of getting above it isn't that great, right? If I have a goal to get to seven, it's not likely I'm going to get to eight. If I get to, if I set it at one, I might get to two, but it, probably not. I'll probably just get that one. Whereas if I set it to fifty, wow. Well, even if I only halfway get there, I get to twenty five, which is really a huge change from ten to now twenty five is is a lot. So, how does that work? Uh, actually, be. Uh, so actually, it'd be 30, right? So halfway. Um, so to 30. That's a massive increase. You know, that's you've now just 3X'd it. Um, so uh, so what is that? Um, what if you make that goal audacious? Because maybe you'll get there. But you're not going to just, just get there without anything, right? So you're not going to just get there unless you plan for it. And to do that, we start with where you're at today, right? Where do you live? What do, you, what do access to money look like? What are the, who are the people you know? Who's on your team right now? And who are those people who could be on your team very easily? Like you pick up the phone and they're there. And, what, and all, the most important piece of this is what are the stories telling yourself? What do those stories look like? Because if you're telling yourself that, well, I'm only capable of getting one, well, you're probably right. If you tell, start telling yourself and you believe in the story that you can get to 50 or you can buy 50 new homes, maybe you're right, too. Uh, so maybe you, you, what you need to be doing is look at, in this phase, just think about it. Think about what you're, those stories that you're telling yourself. Because if you tell yourself you're going to win, you got a lot better chance. I've been learning a lot about this from golf. So I I love golf. Golf's my game. And my kids are, are becoming very, very good golfers right now. So they're young, but they're still actively... They've been playing tournaments. Um, so I have two sons. Uh, they're ages 8 and 6. And I noticed the difference between the two, right? My oldest son, my 8-year-old, he beats himself up all the time. I mean, he just... He's really hard on himself because he's a perfectionist. He needs to. Doesn't matter if he hits a beautiful drive. It somebody else. Well, they came just as far or went further than him. Doesn't matter to him. He he needs to be the best. The best. His needs to be perfect to him, not to me. Uh, I just want him to enjoy it. But I mean, and sometimes, man, he can hit like nobody's business. Um, so, uh, but he's really hard on himself which really hurts him because we'll be in the middle of a game and if you're a golfer you know exactly what i'm talking about because i do this too I, I mean if i hit one bad shot boy i've next four five holes are going to be terrible <laughs> just because i beat myself up and see i did it right there that's the story i'm telling myself isn't that funny so uh i'm using that as an example in here it, it it just happened like live uh so the story I'm telling myself is that, and that the next four or five holes is going to be awful. Well, guess what? The next four or five holes are going to be awful because I just told myself the next four or five holes is going to be awful. So, but what if instead I said, "Wow, that shot didn't go so good," but you know what? I always do great right after the next, right after a bad shot. The next shot is always perfect. Then you'd really, really see see some magic happen, right? If that was the story you believe, that's probably what's going to happen. Because so much of how we run in the in today's world, it's it's all about the the things we're telling ourselves. So, what are the things that you're telling yourself today, right? What does that dialogue look like today? Stop and just listen to your in your thoughts for a, for a minute. Just listen for for a few seconds and think. You know, is that is that are those thoughts helpful or are they not? You know, or just what are they? Just what are they? So that's for today. But in order to reach that goal, whichever you choose, you don't have to choose the 50. You know, you can choose the seven. You can choose the one. You can choose to sell them all and, you know, go be a hermit. You can do whatever. But whatever that goal is, you know, what do you need to do and who do you need to become in order to reach that goal? What do your resources need to look like? What does your network need to look like? You know, basically, what knowledge do you need? What, what, what has to happen in order to reach that? And more importantly, who do you need to be? And when you have an identi- identify with that future self, you know who that person that you would need to be to accomplish that goal is. What is how do they talk to themselves? I can guarantee you they're different than than what's going on in your head right now, unless your goal is basically to just be exist exist. So the person that you want to be is they've got a very different go- things going on in their head than you do. But let's break it up. So going from today, December twenty twenty three to December twenty twenty four is huge, right? I mean that's. That's it's so big; it's overwhelming, but that's not what you need to do. Focus on it quarter by quarter, or uh, break it down even more if that's helpful, right? Break it down to a week. There's a there was a there's a good uh, was a good book called the fifty two week year. Um, yeah, fifty two week year, or yeah, which basically breaks everything down into you know, one week interval. And every quarter is like, like a big, big thing, right? So trying to accomplish a lot of things. But by small changes, you don't make the change. You don't go from zero to 60, you know, in instantly, right? A car doesn't do that, right? It accelerates. So, you know, you need to accelerate too. So what needs to happen in this quarter? I, for me, quarters just makes more sense. Step one, this is how you do it. Uh, So this is how you get to from where you're at to where you want to go in your uh, syndication business, in your investment fund business. Step one, founder investment theory. This is the this is the the way to do it. This is the the most important step that you could have. Founder investment theory is broken up into four different parts. It does not all be a lot of my stuff has been on real estate, but it does not have to be real estate. It doesn't matter what it is, right? Just like the MCA lending wasn't at all, it had nothing to do with real estate. This the this your founder investment theory is whatever you're in. So the first step is your strategy. So what is that general thing? That MCA lending is fine. You know, maybe it's value add, maybe it's buying those stabilized assets and reselling them. Maybe it's buying businesses that meet a certain, uh, a cert, you know, maybe it's buying businesses. What is it? You know, what is that strategy? And how can we refine it a little bit better? So MCAA funding is probably tight enough, but certainly buying businesses isn't, right? So maybe it's buying businesses that change the world or buying businesses in the technology sector or buying businesses that entertain people or whatever it is, right? It's that general strategy. So what is that? And then it comes down a level. Now we look closer in at that strategy and start determining tactics, which I call philosophy and the criteria. So an opportunity gets presented to you. What criteria are you going to judge that against to see if it's a right fit for you? Right? Is it something that you want to do? You know, some people don't want to do, um, don't want to ever do anything but multifamily. That's fine. But So when you get that opportunity put in front of you, then you know if it's not multifamily, it's just not meeting the criteria. It's not what moves you. So, you know, you you kick it out. And that keeps you on track, too. So if I say to you, hey, look, I know you only do multifamily, but this self-storage thing is fantastic. It's almost like multifamily. It's really close. You get to stay in your lane. You get to stay in your wheelhouse, right? You get to stay true to your founder investment theory because that's what you've told your investors anyway. You said I do multifamily. All I want to do is multifamily. It's all I'm for. That's great. Me, I'm actually quite the opposite. So when I'm, the deals that I do, I don't. I actually don't have this like an asset class as part of my criteria. I do deals that are great right? I do great deals that move me. So my philosophy and criteria is actually pretty simple, which feeds into the fourth step. It's got to have a great story. I mean, that for me, that's what it is. It's got to be something that I can be like, yeah, that's great. So I can commit 100% to it. If it's something what I would call boring, I, I, I don't have any interest in it. It, it's just not going to be something that I want to put together. It might have great returns, but it just doesn't do it for me. So if it doesn't do it for me, it's not part of my founder investment theory. It's, it's not even a consideration. Um, so those kind of, of deals, I'm done with. I, I, I've done a couple. Never going to do them again. It, it's so hard to get work done on them because it's just not fun. right? Uh, but there have been other projects that have been, you know, are just exciting and like fun, you know that. And those are I can get by, and I can I don't have any problems staying up, you know, being awake for twenty three hours and working my working, you know, seven days a week on because it's exciting. So that's my part of my philosophy, and criteria. But choose that philosophy and criteria for yourself because you're going to be spending a lot of time here, and it needs to be congruent with who you are. The third part is risk profile. So for every deal, there's a certain level of risk, right? High risk, high return. Uh, low risk, low return. It's just it's part of our DNA to do that. And the best example I have for this is, what if you had a deal, that an opportunity that you absolutely knew that was going to triple the people's money in one month? You just knew it. Absolutely true. And you took that deal and you went to somebody who was so risk averse, they were just terrified of anything risky, right? Their mattress is underneath their pillow, right? Or underneath their mattress. It's, they just are so risk averse. Actually, they don't even have cash. They have gold, right? And not just gold. They actually have precious metals, other, all sorts of precious metals, because they don't want anything to go wrong whatsoever, Well, taking them that deal that's going to triple their money, they're not going to buy it. Even though it's tripling their money in a month, and all they have to do is just let you use that money there, they're not going to do it. Why? Because it doesn't match their risk profile. Because they're not going to invest in something, they'll think there's a scam going on. Take the opposite story of it. You got somebody who is a fast player, who's just like, wow, this is, you know, I'm, Make big moves. I I want to I want to triple my money every month, uh, and then you, you find this deal that man, it's it's a it's a ten year deal. It's low cost and it's gonna it's gonna make you four percent. But man, that four percent is absolutely one hundred percent totally impossible to fail. Right? I mean, it's got insurance on. it. Like, nothing could possibly go wrong. You try and bring that deal to the guy who wants the triple in the month, not going to touch it with a 10-foot pole, right? He he doesn't even want to talk to you anymore. Because it doesn't match the risk profile. So find that risk profile for yourself. And there's, of course, a billion people in between. So uh, find find that risk profile for yourself. Where are you most comfortable getting at? and then take it and put it into a story. So take that story element so that it's compelling. Masterworks has a great story. This Boutique Hotel has a great story. MCA Lending has a great story. What is that story? Because here's the key, and it's so important, I cannot stress this enough. Investors do not invest based on IRRs. Investors do not invest on IRRs or preferred returns. They don't. It's not part of what they do. It's not how people function. We've seen that from behavioral finance. It just doesn't happen. People are not rational in making investment decisions. They don't make them that way. They invest for one thing and one thing only, that they invest based on their emotions. They make an emotional decision And then they use facts. They use IRRs and they use multiples and they use whatever it is to justify their decisions. That's how people make decisions. So you've got to have something that connects to that emotions. And the only thing that connects to emotions is how much they trust you and what that story is. And the better your story is, the better they trust you. And the more they trust you, the more they'll listen to your story. So story is absolutely fundamental. And it doesn't have to be this, you know, it, the story has to look like this. It's not. It needs to be something that you can craft into something that moves people. That's all it is. It's not creating a fiction. You don't want to do that because then you immediately lost all the trust. But you, you create it as an absolute truth. you know, an absolute emotional mover. It's going to be unstoppable. So that's founder investment theory. Step two, find investors. This is like one of the two most important jobs that you have for the rest of your life as a syndicator and a fund manager. Finding investors. You're always thinking about finding investors. You're always thinking about it. It's, It's part of what you do. So step two, find those investors. And we can help you, you know, with strategies in order to do that. Investors come from online or offline. It can be under, you, know, you could do a 506B offering where you have friends and family. You can have non-accredited investors. You know everybody's within your network. Problem is you can't advertise. Or you could do a 506C offering and you can do it only to accredited investors. But you can suddenly advertise. So now the whole world opens up as possible investors, but that trust value is now low. So you got this, this trade-off, right? So you've got either 506B where you can rely on your trust, 506C where you just don't have the trust yet. Um, so it makes it a little bit more challenging. So both of them are not simply easy. You know, The actual process itself is pretty easy, uh, but it's not like, Automatically, people are just throwing money at you. It doesn't work exactly that way. So. Step three, find assets. You can't syndicate without assets. I mean, debt funds, it's a promissory note, basically, is underneath it. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a promissory note. But there's some sort of liability there that's making it so that you, uh, and I don't mean liability in the balance sheet sense. I mean, there's some sort of money that's owed. No matter what, you gotta have an asset, all right? So the assets are, you need to find those assets or there's nothing to invest. So the four steps are very simple. Establish that criteria of what exactly you're looking for that matches your fit. Use a checklist. Once you've done that, talk to everyone you know. Utilize your existing network. You know, this is what I'm looking for. Make sure everybody knows. And then once you've talked to everyone you know, expand it. So and then you start talking to, if it's real estate, start talking to other brokers in the area, the ones who are doing a lot of business. Expand that network. And then, finally, review uh, review the public information exchanges. You know, if it's a commercial real estate, you're looking on LoopNet. If it's residential real estate, maybe you're looking at the MLS. If it's uh, businesses, there's a bunch of business-looking sites. You know, expand it out. Step four and this is probably the one that people fail to do the most. And you just cannot get to your goal if you don't do this step. You have to commit. That if you don't commit to the goal, if you don't commit to doing it, you're never going to get there. You absolutely, that is one of, you know, as an attorney, I never make guarantees. This is one pure guarantee. You don't commit to it. You absolutely are not going to get there. So you have to decide, yeah, I'm going for it. It's risky, of course it is. Everything in life is risky, but you got to commit to it or it's never going to happen. So commit is step four. It's, it's the step that makes it all happen. After that, the rest is just making putting all those promises, putting all those things that we talked about into play. So, what sort of network do you need to do? What sort of things need to be in place? What sort of knowledge needs to be in place? Now that I've got these assets, these investors, and I'm still getting more investors, I'm still getting more assets. How do I? How do I keep going? But you've already committed, so now you've got to just fulfill your promise. That's all. So, just fulfilling the promise. So, and then getting it to your goal. So that's how you get to your goal is by committing. To that extent, you know, that's certainly something that we can help you with. Oops. Sorry about that. Let's put that. I meant to move. Here. There we go. Um, so, which brings us to our law firm. So what we do. So, I'm obviously Tilda Moschetti, I am a syndication attorney. I'm also a syndicator. I also put together my own deals. So, I've got you know, a lot of experience in this industry. And that's what we bring to the table that I think... oops, And that's what we, we bring to the table, is the experience in the business. So not only do I help maybe 100 people or 100 syndicators a year in putting together their offerings and getting them out there to the world, you know, supporting them along the way, making sure, you know, helping them strategize, well, what's the marketing going to look like? What uh, We've got decisions to make about this. Oh, my gosh, the investors, they need to know X, Y, Z. That has nothing to do with law, but can you help me? The answer is yeah, because I've been there. I know exactly what you've been going through. I've been sitting across from, from investors before. I've done pitches. I've, you saw the one I did for MCA Lending. That's just what I do. Right. I have to make pitches because I talk to investors all the time. You know, and you you'll get to that point and you'll get way better than me, I'm sure. Um, but that that's the kind of thing that I can I can help you with. Because we've got experience not only just on the business, you know, working on it, building the building out the structure, making sure your entities are set up and getting you the right private placement memorandum and in the operating agreement and the subscription agreement. But we're like we're like a mechanic who also races cars, right? I've driven a car. I haven't just worked on cars. And that's what sets us apart, uh, is that, that we're in there with you. We're actually tinkering with the car, too. We're making it work. We're tuning it. We're helping you you know, do everything that, that needs to be there because we've raced cars. We've been in the car. We know what to, what's supposed to happen. I know that when you, when you do this, it's supposed to do that not just as a pure function of theory, but because I've been there. I've had investors ask me, well, why are you doing your distributions that way? You know, I've had that conversation uh, many times. I've had the conversation of, well, we're looking at the possibility of doing a capital call, and uh, uh, if we do decide to do that, here's what it's going to look like. And as uncomfortable as it is to have in the moment, Fortunately, I never actually had to make a capital call, but I've had it nearly neat to make a capital call, and I had to tell my investors, and I had to be sitting across from them and explaining that. So I know the reality of it as it is there, and you're going to be in that space too. And so that's what we can help you with, is making sure that your structure is put together in a way that when those things happen, you're ready for it. You can do what needs to get done. Uh, I'm an expert in regulation D rule 506b 506c. It's all we do. All all I do is help investors uh people I mean help sponsors like you uh with putting these offers together. So my legal side I don't do anything family law, I don't do uh criminal, I don't I don't even do business law as it relates to uh a lot of things. Even if it, even in things like like if there is a, a litigation around uh, securities, I don't do that. All I do is this stage of security because I know I'm the best there is. I know I can do it and I know I can get great results. And I know that when you hire me, I can give you a product and I can give you the support that will make you successful. And you're never going to have to deal with the, the lawsuits and you're not going to have to deal with those. I can't 100% guarantee it because anybody can file a lawsuit, but I can make it very, very likely that you're going to be in a great place. Right? The rest will be really up to you. And, of course, asking. If you've got any questions, then you can, uh, of course, ask. And so one thing that I think people, a lot of people hire me for is, like, literally, Whenever a situation arises, we're literally a call, text, email, whatever it is away. So this, clients all have the ability to, to send me texts. I don't give out my cell phone, but that's just because, you know, a text is much more reliable for me, uh, for me anyway. I My phone never really even rings. My phone buzzed just a minute ago. That was a text coming in from a client. So there you go. So, you know, and I'm... I can't obviously respond at this minute, but I will respond as soon as we get off the phone. So, you know who you are, you were the lucky one. Now it lives on in infamy. Um, But so I'm literally like easy to get a hold of. You get, oh, you're only dealing with me. I have a staff uh, that's built out, and we're actually growing. So we're growing in a way that still makes it so that you have ready access to me, because that's really what you're hiring me for. You know what? When you hire a syndication attorney, you don't want to spend all this money just to get somebody, you know, a paralegal, and you never get to talk to the person who actually has been in the trenches, right? Even though I'm probably the only syndication attorney who's actually in the trenches, but you ultimately want to get a hold of the attorney anyway, and not somebody uh, who's junior to them. Well, I will have somebody who will be in place to help facilitate that, but that's going to be their role. Your role, Their role will not be actually you know, doing that work. It's going to be, okay, how do we make sure that all the questions of our clients are getting answered as quickly as possible, um, and they'll have direct access to me. But the reality is you also have direct access to me. As a client, you can always text me. Text is probably the fastest. So, that's who we are. Uh, my name is Tilda Muschietti. I am the attorney of Moschetti Syndication Law uh, PLLC. Uh, most of the time, I call it Moschetti Syndication Law Group. And uh, we if we can help you put together your offering, whether it's your first syndication, first investment fund, you're raising money for your business, or you've done it for years. You know, we'd be happy to help. Again, you get all those benefits of my experience um, at no extra cost, and it's you know, it's just included in what we do. And I enjoy it. And I hope you enjoy the process as well. So that was our webinar for twenty twenty four to get ready to launch. I do wish every single one of you incredible success. The more we do as a as an industry to make alternative investments as successful as possible, the better it is for everybody. All right? This is the the beauty of capitalism is that You know, it raises all boats, right? So the better our industry does, the better it is for every single one. So obviously, I care a lot about making sure that the whole industry is well taken care of, that we all do the right thing. We're all compliant. We all make our investors massive amounts of money. We make massive amounts of money for ourselves. That's my goal. That's my wish for 2024. So I hope you have a very, very happy new year. Thank you.